There's a great quote from David Bowie who said, aging is an extraordinary process whereby you become the person you always should have been. And I think that's a lovely line. It recasts aging rather than as a slither downhill towards the tomb, rather than framing it as a sort of downward spiral, you think of it as a, as a journey or an adventure. I think where you're opening new doors rather than closing them. And, and I think when you start thinking of it like that, it becomes a whole lot less frightening. It becomes much more something to embrace and look forward to rather than to dread and shrink from. Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to the show. I hope you're having a grand old day out there. Today's episode is about something that we all experience and we all contribute to a little bit despite our best efforts. Ageism and ageist attitudes are all around us. And I'm talking to author Carl Honoré today to talk about different ways we can overcome ageism in our daily work. Working with vulnerable older people, it can sometimes be difficult to see these individuals as people living full and rich lives just like ourselves. And Carl's newest book, Boulder, Making the Most of Our Longer Lives, has some ways of helping us break down a few of the not-so-helpful ideas we have about growing older and changing the way we perceive aging in general. Hey, maybe you listened to our first episode of Who Cares last Friday with Daniela and Mari. It was a fun one with them responding to Mike Baird's interview. If you didn't, don't worry, we've got more this week as they take their unique magnifying glass to some of the issues Carl and I are talking about today. You can find that episode in our regular podcast feed just below this episode. Well, that's all i got to say for now. I hope you enjoy this chat with Carl Honoré. Hey, Carl, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you. Great to be with you. Yeah, it's great to have you here. i got a bit of a, a question here because you're calling from a London time zone. Your accent's not terribly British and research shows me you've hosted a TV show in Australia. What gives? What's going on? Where, who are you and where are you from? I guess I'm Commonwealth man, right? I'm Canadian, but I live in London and I do a lot of work in Australia. So, I mean, I've been in London now for more than 20 years and I feel this is my hometown, but I've clung to my Canadian accent as best I, as best I can. I heard something about your accent doesn't change after a certain age. Maybe that's late 20s or early 30s or something that you just never lose it. Yeah, I think people are different. I, I can be quite a chameleon because I speak other languages and so my ears sort of tuned into how people speak and sound. So I remember when I first came here, I was way past that age. I, I kind of let my accent drift. Everybody thought I was Irish, which at first I loved because everybody loves the Irish, right? And then at some point yeah. I thought, hang on, I'm, I'm not Irish at all. This is counterfeit. So I sort of pulled it back. My accent will, I'll make deliberate tweaks to it depending on who I'm with, right? So if I'm playing hockey with my Canadian friends in London, I sound just like I did growing up in Edmonton, Alberta. But when I'm on the BBC, I probably sound a little bit more... Uh, not the Queen's English, obviously, but something a little closer to that version. Nice. Well, apart from doing the uh, the TV shows, you've been doing a lot of writing. Looks like the last 15, 20 years. You, your background is in journalism, right? That's right. I was a foreign correspondent journalist for a good 11 years and then switched over into writing books. I, I realize now that all of my books start from a small existential crisis. <laughs> and one came along that sparked off Boulder, which was that I was playing at a hockey tournament in the north of England. And my team 
you know, we were locked in a, a nil-nil draw with a team that we had annihilated the year before. It was the quarterfinals. We couldn't get the goal we needed. And then suddenly out of nowhere, I scored one of those goals that, you know, highlight reel, you'll remember it on your deathbed. We went into the semifinals. I was punching air. I was, you know, f- in the clouds. And then I came off. One of the organizers came up to me and said, you know what, I've been looking at player profiles and it turns out you're the oldest player at the tournament. And for some reason that just completely knocked me for six. You know, I just, I knew I was one of the oldest, right? I'm not deluded, but somehow being the oldest just shook me to the core. And I I went in the blink of an eye from, you know, goal scorer to granddad. And all these questions began pouring in. Are people laughing at me? Uh, Do I look out of place here? Should I take up a more age appropriate pastime like bingo perhaps and it was just such an extraordinary moment where my suddenly, out of nowhere, my chronological age took on this terrible power over me. And it really rocked me. And I came away from that tournament just thinking, why? Why should... I know I was playing well. I was having fun. Why should suddenly the numbers on my birth certificate mean that I ought to feel bad or ashamed or guilty about playing a sport that I've played my whole life and, and, and love? I came away from that thinking, you know, something is not quite right here with the way I think about aging. And then obviously I began looking at the big picture and it became pretty clear that we were all marinated in the cult of youth. And then there was a kind of light bulb over the head aha moment. I realized with my earlier work, I was taking on the cult of speed. Boulder, my new book, Taking on the Cult of Youth. So that's that's the origin story of my latest book. Yeah, wow. Now in the semifinal, did you perform as well, not as well? Did you play? What was the story there? We lost the semifinal and we'd won that tournament two, two years in a row before. And I just didn't play as well. And I think that later on, as I began unpicking the research on aging and attitudes to aging, that was one of the things that really horrified me, actually, is that so much of how we age comes down to how we feel about aging. In other words, if you have a grim, downbeat view of aging, you're going to age less well, right? You're more likely to suffer physical and cognitive decline, to develop dementia, and even to die an earlier death up to seven and a half years. Now, I didn't die an earlier death at that hockey tournament, but in a sense, I suppose you could argue, and I think it's probably true, that I began to play like what I would, you know, an old person, like in inverted commas, Mm -hmm. like what I imagined an old person to play, which in those days, as a card-carrying ageist, I imagined anyone who was old, like the oldest player in the tournament, must be one of the worst players, right? So I think that got in my head, and I just didn't, I didn't have my finest hour in the semifinals, and we crashed out. <laughs> well, don't take it all on your shoulders. I'm sure that the rest of the team had a, a bad day as well. The cult of youth, I mean, it's a nice way of putting it that we are youth obsessed. And we've had some conversations on the show before about ageism. And I kind of I had some conversations with people around me after it. And I came in with this very anti-ageist sort of whatever age you're at is a great age attitude. And I got this pushback that's like, yeah, but you're young. That's easy for you to say. What is it that's missing there? Why are people still so reluctant to accept that being older is a good thing? Well, I think that one of the downsides of aging, and I say up front that I'm no Pollyanna, right? I mean, I'm not trying to replace the cult of youth with the cult of the codger, right? I mean, every age has its pros and cons. I think one of the problems or one of the challenges with aging is that as you get older, one of the cons is more visible, right? It's the physical changes that are so obvious, right? The way you look in your face, the way you move, the way your body in many ways doesn't perform as well as it did in your youth. So that's right in our face, yeah? So as a young person or as any person looking at the pros and cons and weighing them up for the different age groups, what jumps out at you is the downside for for older people, right? What you don't see is all of the benefits 
and prose and good stuff that comes along with aging because much of that, most of it, is hidden, right? It's hidden behind the wrinkles mm-hmm. and the gray hair and the maybe the larger midriff than you had, you know, 30 years ago, all that kind of stuff, right? So the, the, the untold story, the good news story of aging is untold because it's not not so visible. So I think that's a big part of it. There's another piece to the equation as well, which is that the whole culture is geared up to venerate youth, right? So on top of this natural inclination to see the downsides, because they're visible for growing older, there's a culture that's just constantly telling us that growing older sucks and that you must do everything to avoid aging, right? There's anti-aging, right? That phrase Mm. that's plastered on millions of products and services around the world. I mean, it just reinforces the idea that aging is all about loss, decline, depression, dementia, technical incompetence. I mean, just all these things, right, that are most of them are wholly untrue. But the culture, like we've got this ageist industrial complex out there that's constantly bombarding us with the idea that that there is a wrong side of 40. Yeah, there is no wrong side of 40. There's good and bad on either side of 40. The trouble is the culture is perpetually telling us it's game over at 35 or it's all downhill from 37 or wherever you're drawing the line. Yeah, that's what the culture is forever pumping at us. And I think you put those two mm. things together and it goes a long way to explaining why we assume what people were saying to you, which is that, ah, well, you think that because you're young and actually you get older, it's all, no. I think it's a much more nuanced and much more optimistic picture. So can can you arm me with some items here that I can take back? It's And I'll out her, it's my stepmom. And I asked her before the episode, I said, is it right if I mention you on the show? Because she's pushed back and said, aging sucks. I don't like being older. What are some good things that I can go back to and say, these are some positives. Have you thought about these? I mean, just look at some of the stereotypes we have about aging. The first and most obvious one, leaving aside the physical uh, challenges, is that aging is depressing, right? We think of older people as being, I mean, think of the words we use, crotchety, cranky, sad, grumpy, but actually untrue. Human beings follow what's called a U-shaped happiness curve, which means we start very high in childhood. We fall steadily until we bottom out in middle age. (laughs) And then we bounce back up again. And that's why in Australia and most other countries around the world, the adult group that reports the highest levels of life satisfaction and happiness is the over 55s, yeah? And scientists mm. have even spotted a similar U-shaped curve in chimpanzees, bonobos, and orangutans, which suggests that happiness boost in later life is coded into our primate genes. So there's one pro to growing older, right? Human beings can be immensely creative at any stage of life. And in fact, there are some forms of creativity depend on a couple of things that you can only get from aging, which are time and experience, which is why if you look back through history, it's studded with examples of people doing triumphantly creative work in later life, from Michelangelo to Matisse, Beethoven to Bach. You know, Maya Angelou nailed it when she said, the writer, American writer said, you can't use up creativity. The more you use, the more you have. And then if you want to think about something a bit more maybe pragmatic, I guess, uh, productivity tends to rise in jobs that rely on social acumen. Why? Because we tend mm-hmm. to get better socially, more agile, better at reading other people, collaborating, working together, leading even as we get older. Uh, entrepreneurship, right? We always think, well, entrepreneurship, it's all Zuckerbergs and Travis, whatever, you know, the t- Twitter guy, <laughs> you know, they're all in their 20s and garages. <laughs> Untrue. If you look at the stats, you're more likely to set up a successful startup in middle age or beyond, which is a long, long mm. way from the stereotype. I mean, one of the things that I think really stands out for I recognize this very clearly in my own life. As you grow older, you get more, you come to know yourself, but you get more at ease in your own skin, more comfortable with yourself and your place in the world. 
and you, you feel less beholden to other people's expectations and opinions. So there's a great line from Ann Landers, the American ab- agony aunt. She once said that at 20, you worry about what others think of you. At 40, you stop worrying about what others think of you. At 60, you realize they were never thinking of you at all, right? <laughs> Which I think gets at that sense of, um, what would you call it? Maybe lightness or freedom that comes upon us in later life. And, mm. and that's something that you notice across all socioeconomic groups, cultural, geographical regions, that people just get better at streamlining, letting go of people's tasks, rituals, activities that don't light them up, focusing on what really matters to you, what really lights you up, finding purpose. I mean, that thing that we're always, the big P word that everybody bandies around in everywhere from the self-help world to the business gurus. It's all about finding your purpose. There's something about getting into the second half of life that moves us towards finding our purpose, wanting to give back and help and all that sort of stuff. They call it Jiro Transcendence. I mean, it's got a big fancy psychological name. I mean, you know, I could go on, but there's a, an arsenal of arguments you can put to your stepmom next time. Next time she starts <laughs> moaning at the other end of the dinner table. <laughs> well, I think I might just play the recording of this and, and you can explain it to her. Thank you. <laughs> so with all these positives, I mean, who's the book for? Who is the, this idea of... Is it just a matter of reminding them or is there some other work that needs to be undone here? It's both. It's reminding people who are in, like I'm guessing your stepmom as well, or people who are already in that, let's call it second half of life, right? Who are drenched in all of the bleak, grim messaging around aging and are thinking, well, yeah, aging does suck because that's what I hear every time I fire up YouTube or every time I read a newspaper or every time I look in the mirror or something, you know? So it's partly aimed at that demographic, but to be honest, it's almost more or at least as much aimed at younger people, people in the first half. I decided this as I was writing it or as I came to the end of the writing, that I wish that I had written this book, Boulder, 20 years earlier, right? At the age of 30. Because mm. I could have saved myself two decades of dread, fear, shame, just general feeling lousy about growing older, like scared and and put off and disgusted by the whole idea. If I'd written this book then and learned all the things I learned at 50, done all the due diligence and the investigation and the research, those last two decades would have, it would have been better decades. I got to be honest, right? I would have not been carrying mm. around the ageist monkey on my back. There's a great quote from David Bowie who said, aging is an extraordinary process whereby you become the person you always should have been. And I think that's a lovely line. It recasts aging rather than as a slither downhill towards the tomb. It turns it round. It turns it into a kind sure. of journey or an adventure to get to the to get to the center of the labyrinth, right? To get to the, the, the to find the treasure pot on the final. It's like a video game. You're going from level up. You start in level zero. I'm at level fifty three now, and I can think, what's happening in level fifty four? Yeah, I know. What kind of kind of monsters will I be fighting there? What kind of riddles will I have to unpack? What treasure is waiting for me at the end of you know the tunnel in fifty four, fifty five, fifty six? Rather than thinking of framing it as a sort of downward spiral, you think of it as a as a journey or an adventure, I think, where you're opening new doors rather than closing them. And and I think when you start thinking of it like that, it becomes a whole lot less frightening. It becomes much more something to embrace and look forward to rather than to dread and shrink from. Hey, did you know we launched a new show this season? Hello, I'm here with Daniela Greenwood. And I'm here with Maury Voicey-Barlin. That's right, Daniela and Maury are back. And they're joining us every Friday for their new show, Who Cares? Where they'll be taking a quizzical look at some of Age Care's challenges 
and exploring what they mean for all of us working in the industry. I'm really stumped by how what the resolution is here because I think there's a lot to dig into. You would have been better working at McDonald's, Mari, because I they've got a good set. I could have been somebody, Daniela. <laughs> I could have been somebody. You are a somebody, Mari. You, and the more I learn about you, you're an amazing oh, somebody. Oh, thank you. I think the same. It's a double dose of podcast fun each week and you can find it right here in the Ace Feed every Friday. You're going to be the new Minister of Ageing if it's the last thing I do. Now, a lot of our listeners are working in the aged care space, whether in residential aged care or, or home care or, or maybe receiving care themselves. These, these sorts of ideas can be tricky to keep in mind, I imagine, if you're dealing with people who are at the pointy end of life and perhaps have some reduced capabilities physically or, or cognitively. How can you translate this message for those people? Well, I think you two things. One is to try wherever possible to focus on the positive sides of those, because I, I've been in that situation myself and done a lot of work in those environments. And there's always something with everyone. There's always some some shred of life lived, of joy or something there in everybody. And I think to try and focus on that and try to cult- help that person cultivate that side of what's left, there, there'll always be one little thing. So whether it's someone who can still recite poetry they remember that they didn't they learned in school 60 years before or they're particularly good with their hands and crafts or they can tell a good joke it's just to encourage them to you know lean in <laughs> to that thing more and for you to focus it on yourself and be there with them and, and appreciate there's still some even at the very last chapter when things can in many ways get very dark there is always a chink of light there's always a shaft of light there somewhere and to turn your gaze towards that light i think is really helpful the other thing is if you're in working in that environment is to, when you're away from the, say the care home or whatever, is to focus wherever you can on, on more of the upsides of older people. So to look out, even if it's just as simple as going on Instagram now and following a couple of influencers in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, right? And that's one of the joys of mm. social media is that it's a powerful ally in the battle to redefine aging for the 21st century, right? Because every day people are uploading millions of photos and videos showing their version of being 40-something, 50-something, 60, 70, 80, 100-something. And those versions look so different from the toxic, bleak uh, cult of youth view of growing older. So just Mm. remind yourself, you get away from the the work environment where maybe you're having to struggle or make an effort to find that shaft of light. Go out into the world and find your... Go where you can be bathed in the light of Mm. the upsides of of aging. And one place to start, I say, is social media, but you may find it helpful to join a multi-generational social group in your neighborhood or try to just expose yourself to happier narratives because they're out there and they're out there more and more. They're Mm. legion, but it is easy. I know in that situation to, to kind of get tunnel visioned in and there's so much work, there's so much pressure. Those are tough jobs. They take a big toll emotionally. It can be easy when you're under that kind of pressure to narrow the focus. I just would say widen the lens and and seek out the light because there's plenty of light out there. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Do, do you think that things like social media, that they will be the, the sorts of uh, the tools that will help us unravel this pervasive cult of youth? I, th- I think it's a big part of it, definitely, because I mean, so I think social media is a double-edged sword because part of it does have a, a wild glorification of youth, right? There is part of it that is that, especially for female, young female beauty. It's almost a, it's been weaponized on social media in lots of ways, but that's not the whole story. There's a whole other part of social media that can play in to this redefining of aging. So yes, I think social media is going to be, if we use it well and wisely, can be a huge plus and a huge ally, absolutely. 
but it's not the only thing. We need to get out there and you know lean on our political representatives to pass new laws against ageism. We need to make sure we're enforcing the laws against ageism that are already on the statute books. We need big global and national campaigns against ageism that will make ageism just as unacceptable as smoking or sexism or racism. We, we, we are seeing those things more and more. And the WHO, World Health Organization, launched a big anti-ageism campaign, its first ever in March of this year, 2021. So these things are coming, but we need more and we need them more widely. I mean, one thing, whenever people say, what, what can I do? I mean, mm. I, apart from writing to your MP and that sort of thing, I think I, I often talk about language, the language we use. And that's mm -hmm. a super important lever to pull that we all have at our disposal. Because the language we use, and this is borne out by science across all fields of human endeavor, right? The language you use shapes the way you feel about the world, your place in it, your talents and strengths, and, and how you interact with other people. So if we constantly find ourselves using ageist language, and we do, all of us, just if you're a listener, just pause for a moment, think of phrases like senior moment, wrong side of 40, <laughs> feeling my age, showing my age, age before beauty, all those phrases, you know, they trip off the tongue and often we utter them with tongue in cheek and it's a way of lightening the mood. But actually, every time you use a phrase like that, you're reinforcing the myth or the lie that aging is all about decline. So I would just say, check your language and try not to use phrases like that and just back away from them. And that will make a difference in how you feel about your own aging and how the people around you feel about theirs. Do you have any kind of suggestions to substitute those phrases? Because they're so close at hand, right? You, I know that I go for them and go, ah. Oh. I shouldn't have said that. Any suggestions here? Actually, I had a conversation with somebody recently about how to replace senior moments. <laughs> you try to find somebody who's um, who's forgetful, I suppose, is a whatever that person is, uh, rather than the senior <laughs> moment. Yeah. Or like goldfish. It could be a goldfish moment. We did say, because, you know, goldfish are famously forget oh, everything yeah. after 30 seconds or whatever. So maybe a goldfish moment there that cuts across all cultures. And I don't think anyone would be offended by goldfish moment. Any fish enthusiasts out there? <laughs> Don't want to get cancelled for coming up with the wrong metaphor. <laughs> yeah. Hey, going back to the um, the aged care piece there, and the podcast is presented by Silver Adventures, and and something that we we've talked about a lot is is well being and using the framework of the Eden Alternative, who have this idea of the seven domains of well being, and something they talk about is providing people's lives, no matter where they are, is having something to work towards, having goals to aim for, and and things to keep achieving, no matter what stage of life. That strikes me as something that if you're working within an aged care setting, you could probably help construct some goals for people who are living there to keep keep it moving forward. Because I feel like there's maybe a tendency to keep looking back when you get towards the end. I, I think that there's nothing wrong with looking back, but I think if you want to keep moving forward <laughs> in a way that's hopeful and useful and healthy and so on, I think you need to keep on looking forward. So that, that idea of, I think I used that image before of, like approaching life as opening doors rather than closing them. I think that's utterly true. And one way to keep doing that is to set little goals or have little purposes. I mean, it doesn't have to be some epic world-shaking breakthrough, right? It can just be simply, you know, conquering a new knitting pattern or doing an amazing puzzle or learning a few new, maybe rude expressions in, a, in another language or, you know, just keeping things fresh, right? Because we know that novelty keeps us cognitively sharp, physically sharp. It's good for us. So yeah, I think helping people cultivate the idea of, of goals and looking forward is at any age is a good thing. And it's, and I, I was going to say, especially the, towards the end, but I don't, I'm not going to say especially, I'd say and towards the end. So yeah. And again, we come back to that, the P word, right? Purpose. Uh, 
And the purpose mm -hmm. doesn't have to be launching a world-changing startup. It can just be spending more time with your grandchildren. Mm -hmm. Small, simple things like that. And and, and those can be the, the moments that give texture, color, meaning to your life at any stage, right? And and maybe they become, those small things become even more important later on when the bigger things have retreated from the stage. Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's a very fair point. Let me just cycle back to what we were saying there about people in you know homes and so on and keeping them going. Yeah, yeah. I, one of the things I found most interesting in my research was I spent time in a home uh, in, in the Netherlands, which had became a pioneer in, in offering free accommodation to younger people. So they opened up a, a number of apartments within the home to students, offered free accommodation in return for spending, I think it was 30 hours a month, interacting with the elderly residents. And they found very quickly that they didn't have to enforce a 30-hour rule because the students just loved spending time with it. And it created this mm. extraordinary multi-generational you know, magic where people were, you know, friendships were formed. They were so different from so many homes that I've been in. And it was interesting to hear from the older residents that one of the things they liked best about having younger people around was that it helped them kind of look forward in a way. Because if you're surrounded by people who are all the same age group, especially in that last stage, right? The tendency will be, as you said earlier, to maybe to look back, to be thinking backwards. And, and, and again, I say there's nothing wrong. In fact, that's a big part of what you do towards the end is reassess, do your account ledger of life and all that stuff mm -hmm. is super important, right? But if you want to keep moving forward, there's also the moving forward bit as well. And having younger people around, different generations who are in different stages of life and are looking forward themselves just by their very nature, that kind of becomes infectious. And so they, people in, in the elder bracket in that house would say, this is one of the things that they've really brought to the party of the young people is now I'm kind of interested in, in the latest technology or what's happening in, in politics in a way maybe I wasn't before because I feel I have a stake. I've got skin in the game now in a way I hadn't quite realized before. So that may be another way to inject that forward-looking vibe into those homes that you're talking about, that you work with, is introducing a multi-generational piece to the puzzle. Not necessarily, you know, I think it's amazing because many other homes around the world have followed that Dutch model and have opened up their doors and have people, younger people living in situ. But you can do a light version and have younger people coming in for you know, a few hours a week to do whatever, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, play video games or, or read whatever it is, you know, just to be there. So mixing up the generations is the secret sauce for so many good things, right? <laughs> when it comes to aging for all ages, right? Because it's helpful for young people to recast their own version. Because that was the other part of that equation was that the young people who'd moved into this home, many of them came in with wildly ageist views of older people and very quickly changed and began to think, you know, actually what, there's a whole other story to be told here about aging. And they got to the place where I am now without writing my book or researching it. They kind of lived it, right? Well, you're making me excited for the time when, you know, when Playstations and Xboxes are common in, in age cares and, and I can go and hang out and that's going to be my volunteering. I'll go and play online with somebody who's, who's in a home. That'd be pretty great, I reckon. Yeah, well, that's, al that's already happening. I mean, and it will happen more and more because, of course, as every cohort, age cohort comes up, we're now getting into, I mean, the, the pioneering gaming generation is probably not that far off now. Some of them mm. may be going into homes or care facilities and so on. So, And I made a, a slightly tongue-in-cheek reference to bingo earlier on. I, I quite like a good game of bingo, right? You know, I, I'm happy to play bingo. I don't want to diss bingo. I just, it's just not something I'm going to devote my Wednesday evenings to now. I'd rather play hockey. There'll come a time when yeah. hockey is just not going to be, it's just not going to be fun for me anymore because I'm not, I just can't, I won't be able to do enough physically. And maybe then I'll, gaming, bingo, those things. I, it's nice to know they're there for me when I want them. 
hopefully we can do better than bingo by, by the time that hockey's not an option for you. <laughs> I don't know, but that's not just bingo. Bingo's got its... Uh, oh, look, <laughs> I used to work on cruise ships. I think I spent enough time doing bingo there, so... You've been de-bingoized. <laughs> Carl, this has been great. Where can people find out more about your book, Boulder, Making the Most of Our Longer Lives? Oh, super easy. I've got a link tree called carlhonore.info, and there you'll find links to everything books, Boulder, video, audio, everything's on there. So that's a good one-stop shop. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Well, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Don't forget that each Friday, we've got a fresh episode of our new show, Who Cares?, in which Daniela and Maury take another look at the ideas we've been discussing in today's episode and how they might affect all of us working in the aged care industry. It's fun, thought-provoking, and just a little bit silly. And the good news is it's all right here in the podcast feed. So you don't have to click anywhere else. But if you want to make sure you don't miss out, hit the subscribe button and you'll find out exactly when that episode is available. Anyway, we'll see you next week.